Father in heaven, thank you for a, uh, the coming of another Lord's Day. We thank you that we can be here with your people and that we can call upon your name and ask that the Spirit of God who inspired uh, holy men of old to write the scriptures and who superintended every word and every letter, every truth, every concept is breathed out by our, our God. And we pray, Lord, that that same Spirit would help us and encourage us and challenge us. And for some, perhaps even in a class like this, Lord, that you would open their eyes for the first time to the saving truth of Christ and him crucified. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to the subject this morning entitled of saving faith. Uh, and it would be difficult to uh, articulate the importance of this doctrine, or perhaps I could say it would be difficult to overstate the importance of the doctrine before us. Uh, this is among those doctrines that brought about the uh, what's known as the Reformation or the Protestant Reformation. It's among those doctrines that clearly articulates the complex of what we mean by justification by faith, the doctrine which is the foundation of all our peace and happiness as believers and is one of the primary means by which we separate uh, a true and faithful ministry that is a, a church that teaches justification by faith and one that is false. This is the ground of all of our lively fellowship with other believers and other churches. Are they able uh, to teach and promote the doctrine of justification by faith? And we've already considered justification and that led into a brief uh, study of adoption and then of sanctification. And now we're looking at saving faith. And we began to look at this uh, a month ago and I broke it down, uh, giving a, a preview of the chapter by saying we're going to be looking together at the definition of faith, the origin of faith, the use of faith, the strengthening of faith, the focus of faith, and then finally the victorious nature of faith. And uh, we covered the first couple, the definition of faith. Uh, and I'm not going to take a, a much time by way of review simply to say uh, what is the simple definition of faith? What does it mean uh, to have faith? And, and it's just simply faith is believing. Uh, faith and belief are synonymous in the Word of God. Faith is the noun firm, uh, form. Believe is the verb. Uh, the words are almost identical in the original pistis for faith, pistuo for believe. And again, simply to, to have faith is to believe and to believe is to have faith. But in what is, is the question? What are we looking at? What are we looking into? What are we hoping in? And we are looking here at the subject, not just of of faith in general, and people have faith. I mean, all people seem to believe something or other or look to something or other, trust in something or other. When we address saving faith, we are talking about a faith that lays hold of the Lord Jesus and the salvation that is freely offered uh, in him in the gospel. It is by faith or believing in him, trusting in him, being persuaded that he is our only hope and that all that we need for perfect righteousness before God is to be found in him. That's what we're talking about 
when we speak of saving faith. Faith is the means by which we lay hold of what God has done. And though we are not saved apart from faith, it is not faith that saves us. That may sound like double talk, but what we're getting at is we are saved by Jesus. We are saved by the work of Jesus. And of many has said, faith is the hand that lays hold of the finished work of, uh, of Christ. We're not going to worship faith in the world to come. We are going to worship he who sits upon the throne uh, and the Lamb. We then looked uh, at the origin of faith, and our confession says it is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, it is increased and strengthened. And just looking at the first part, uh, it is the origin of faith is the work of the Spirit in their hearts ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by the Word, and yes, but also by the ministry of the Word, by the public proclamation uh, of the truth. And so we're asking if this faith is so important that without it, there can be no salvation. Where does it come from? How do I get it? And the Word of God would tell us that this saving faith is a gracious work of God brought about, first of all, by the Spirit of God, but also uh, by means of the Word, and primarily by means of the Word of God preached. You read that in Romans chapter 10. How will they hear without uh, a preacher? Now, Again, God always uses His Word, but uh, sometimes that Word is, is simply the Word of God written. Some have a testimony that they came to faith uh, by reading their Bibles, or sometimes reading a, a tract, or by a discussion with a, a faithful saint, or some other means. But generally, again, it is by the Word and by the Spirit, ordinarily, they say. All right, let's consider then, now we're going to dive into the new material and that is the strengthening of faith. And we already uh, touched on, on some of this. Uh, let me read again what our confession says. It's the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed by God, it is increased and strengthened. So that faith is not a static thing. Uh, in our lives and in our experience, this gift of God that enables us to lay hold of the promises of God in the gospel, enables us to see Christ and Him crucified as our only hope and to believe uh, that I am welcome uh, to Him, to come to Him and to believe that He will save me as I call upon Him. Uh, that is the same, to some degree, we're saying that's the same, uh, that's a, a mutual testimony, a mutual experience of God's people. But in our ongoing life, it can be small or large, it can be great, or it can be weak. And there are, and this is what we're getting at primarily here, there are means, what we refer to as means of grace. It's an expression I think most of us are familiar with, and that is things that God has given to us uh, in this world and in the church that enable us to have our faith 
helped and stabilized, increased, and strengthened. So that in the Bible analogy, we go from infancy to adulthood. We go from weak to strong as we lay hold of and utilize the means that God has appointed. And so as you think about that, things that help you uh, and that have aided you, what are the primary means that the Lord uses to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to grow our faith? Okay, you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, you have been born again, you've been made a new creature in Christ, but you want to you grow, you want to be made more like the Lord Jesus. So what are things that, that you can do or experience that will help you um, to grow? What are, what are these means appointed by God? Uh, all right, so reading, reading the Word of God. I think that's a, a primary means that we find that uh, we become acquainted uh, over uh, some length of time with the entirety of God's revelation. So we want to make this a matter of legalism, but uh, I think that if you want to get to know uh, who God is, you, you need at some point in your life to read the entirety of God's Word, and I uh, think that that's good to do, not just once in your life, but to do uh, over and over again if God gives you many years uh, of faith. But Daryl also brought out reading uh, the writings of, of good and trusted uh, authors that will help you in your understanding of who God is, help you to see the beauty of Christ, uh, help you to understand the dynamics uh, of the Christian life. So reading uh, or listening, maybe for some of you, you know, you uh, use audio uh, means, but some means uh, by which you're taking in uh, the truth. What are, what are some other ways uh, that we, we grow uh, in our faith? All right, so witnessing baptisms. That's, what, that's one of the arguments in the confession. Uh, and partaking of the Lord's Supper. That this is meant to increase and to help your faith. And I'm going to have a little bit to say about that in the morning uh, ministry. So let me ask you that, because that's what the confession says. I think we can make an argument. Does that ring true in your own experience? We saw, we've seen some baptisms recently. Does that help you? Does that encourage you to hear others articulate their hope and trust uh, in Christ and their determination to follow after him and lifelong obedience? Uh, that encourages us, whether it's a younger person or an older person, whatever it is, it reminds us that Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost, that he is still building his kingdom, not just by transferring members from one place to another, uh, but even by saving sinners. That's a, a, a great reminder. And in the Lord's Supper, what are you reminded of? Well, so let me ask, what do we do in the Lord's Supper? What, what does Paul say we do in 1 Corinthians 11? In, in the Lord's Supper, we're doing what? We are we are proclaiming his death. Does that matter to you? What is, it, what is his death to you? Well, it's, it's, how do we articulate, right? How, how do we begin to articulate that? That what his death on the cross means? And, and, and all of us get to preach that. We preach that to ourselves. 
We preach it to our brothers and sisters. We preach it to the lost. And we are saying that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and that I am one of those sinners that he came to save. And if I've had a lousy week or a lousy month and my conscience is bleeding and and broken and I, I feel so... Uh, terrible about who I am and I think how am I going to get out of this pit well I remind myself I look to that fountain open for sin and uncleanness I look afresh to Christ uh, and to him crucified it is a reminder his body and his blood what are some other means uh, that you might have that will encourage you Carolyn trials Trials. Trials. yeah Uh, so I'm can I pick on you? I'm not picking on you. I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to honor you in this. <laughs> Carolyn is, is one of the, uh, I'm not saying others aren't like this, but I, I, I attribute this largely to my interactions with, with Carolyn. You know, Jesus says kind of, you know, we should get excited by, you know, James says we should get excited by trials. <laughs> you know, one of those things we generally disobey with a good conscience, you know, like, but she's told me many times, I'm excited. You know, when, when a trial starts, I'm excited uh, to see what the Lord's going to do. So, Carolyn, can you articulate a way or one way or two ways in which the Lord has used trials to increase your faith? Well, to actually bring out specific trials, there's been too many, but uh, I would say that it, one, causes me to flee to Christ. Okay. Okay. And because of that, it also causes me to be more introspective and not being unshipwrecked. So okay, good. Are, and I grow by that. Yeah, so these are some ways the Lord uses those things to, yeah, there's a, obviously the Bible says that they uh, try and prove her character and, and other things. Anything else? What do you think of when you think of Marie? The iron sharpening iron of fellowship with our Okay. Daughter. Yeah, that we have a part in, uh, in building each other up in our most holy faith. Um, if we wanted to, we could open up Ephesians chapter 4 and spend a good deal of time talking about uh, the way that life in the body is intended uh, to uh, produce edification. We're going to look at some of that this morning in Romans chapter 14. Just being in, yeah, being in God's house. Um, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And part of that, we sing to one another, you know, we sing to the Lord, but we also sing to one another. And there have been times that, uh, I don't know about you, but my faith has been helped and encouraged as I have seen what, what you're singing and how you're singing it. And sometimes knowing the trials that a particular child of God is undergoing and to see them singing uh, uh, a song of hope and trust, uh, even those songs that speak of looking to the Lord with a broken heart, and it's a means of ministering to our own faith and encourages us. Kendrick, did you? Uh, yeah, the preaching of God's Word. I hope the preaching of God's Word is a, uh, an edifying and encouraging and faith-building and faith-strengthening uh, exercise, not necessarily one sermon. It's, it's, uh, it's the accumulation of sermons. Uh, and I appreciate what one man has said, that I have been sustained and grown by thousands of forgettable sermons and, and what he means by that is that I may not remember all that all that was said but that day and in, in line upon line precept upon precept uh, I was uh, encouraged I've been encouraged by the prayer for God to walk around 
Yeah, I was just, okay, that's the last thing I was going to bring, is prayer. Uh, hearing others pray with faith. Uh, hearing others call upon God with hope and trust. Uh, and then seeing God answer our prayers uh, is tremendously faith-strengthening. Now, there's also a different strengthening of faith call in waiting on the Lord to answer. But when we see the Lord, you know, hear our prayers and move in a certain way, uh, it's very, very uh, encouraging. And so I, I do want to say, you know, if, if you find your faith is weak, and at times faith is weak for a variety of reasons, uh, utilize, you know, you don't have to stay in that condition. God has given to you certain things to do. Pick up and, and read and, 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 and have fellowship. And, and if you're not sitting under the word regularly, I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I've been a Christian for 45, yeah, 45, 46, 40, I think it's 48 years this year. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, 48 years this year uh, that I've been a Christian. And um, I, I, uh, if I am not in God's house, Sorry, 47. So, don't do my math right here. All right. Uh, it, but if, I'm, if I, I miss, if I miss, if, you know, uh, something happens, we're not able to gather together, I'm not able to gather, I'm sick or, you know, whatever, it affects me. Uh, even though I've been to Bible college, been to seminary, listened to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or thousands of sermons, uh, I need this uh, week by week. Uh, and so don't absent yourself. Uh, from those things. All right, so let's look here now in the, in the broader scheme. This is fourthly, the use of faith. And I've got some alternates here, the variety of faith. Let me read again from our confession. By this faith, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself and also apprehends an excellency therein above all other writings and all things in the world as it bears forth the glory of God and his attributes, the excellency of Christ and his nature and offices and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations. And so is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed and also acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Now, if I had a month, I wouldn't be able to do justice uh, to all of this. But this is meant in a large way to be an overview and a reminder uh, of these things. And speaking of the use of faith, or variety of faith, again, I'm wrestling with some degree what I, uh, what I'm, uh, what, how best to describe this. We could speak of the dynamic of faith. We could speak of the, uh, the universal nature of faith. So faith is, at bottom line, it's, it's believing. That's what faith is. And in regard to the work of God in our hearts, it, it, it means that when we are brought to trust in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the ministry of the Word, 
we are also given a heart to believe and embrace not just what the Bible says about Jesus, but everything the Bible says. All that it reveals about God, all that it reveals about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all that it reveals about His, uh, His will for us. Um, now, when we speak of saving faith, as we will see here, we are focusing primarily upon that belief that is necessary, most necessary for us to reach heaven, which is, have you looked to, are you trusting in the person and work of the Lord Jesus? Jesus is, as we will see again, the supreme object of that faith, but Jesus is not the exclusive object of our faith. And so what you have sometimes uh, today is you have people that will say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like what the Bible says about sexuality, gender roles, uh, morality, history, you know, et, et cetera. I don't, but, but, but I'm looking to Jesus, and what we're arguing is that a true heart that has looked to Jesus is submissive to all that God has revealed. Um, that is what uh, we are, are getting at uh, here. Uh, the heart that has true faith is the heart that, again, believes all that God says and uh, all that God has revealed. And, and you know, and this is the argument of it, you, you know that you believe what God says on the basis of your response. This is one of the evidences of faith. So let me give an illustration. If I told you with great alarm, you know, the building's on fire, how would you prove that you believe that I am a truthful witness? <laughs> yeah, you'd leave, right? Most likely, get up and maybe go with some degree of urgency. Or if I said, hey, Ted, somebody's breaking into your car, and you just sat there, you might say, well, Ted didn't, either didn't hear me, or he doesn't believe me, or he thinks that I'm joking, or he doesn't, doesn't care about the car, you know, whatever. But you say, well, if you really believe that, you would, you would act, you would do something. Uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to all be reminded, hey, April 15th is coming up, tax deadline. Got to do, you know, if you're of age, you got a job, you got you to do something. Or if I told you, uh, uh, conversely, if I told some of you who are struggling financially, hey, um, Somebody has uh, given a gift to the church on your behalf. It's an extremely generous amount of money. It will allow you to quit your second job uh, and, and pay off your bills, you know, whatever. Well, how would you know that that's believed? Again, there'd be different responses, right? Uh, on the one hand, you, you, you might, again, flee the room. On the other, you, you jump into action. Uh, and in one of these cases, you, you show that you believe by means of, I would think, by rejoicing and being thankful of what God has done. There, there is a response to belief. And so, as is said here, Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word of God for the authority of God himself. And so you've, you've, you've got to have that fundamental confidence whenever you're coming to the Bible that I have here a true and accurate representation of the mind of God, that what the Bible says, God says. 
And if I question that or if I doubt that, if I'm questioning the authority of the Bible, again, as some do, well, Paul said that, or, well, that was just Moses, you know, whatever it is, and not realizing that the Spirit of God superintending all of the human authors in regard even to the very words of Scripture as well as the truths and the concepts of Scripture. Uh, I cannot see, then, how it is possible for someone to have true saving faith and reject at the same time the nature and authority of the scriptures. What God has revealed about himself, his ways, what God has revealed about man, about salvation, about our duty and the world around us is to be believed and embraced and acted upon according to the nature of the revelation. Now again, it's one thing to be mistaken about our interpretation. It's quite another to say, I see that in the Bible, but I refuse to believe it, I refuse to embrace it, I refuse to do it. To say, I don't understand, I need further light, I need, I need further grace, you know, that, that is one thing. It's another thing to say, I understand and I don't like it, I understand, but I don't want to live that way. Or to say, well, to believe that or to live that out will make me stand out too much. I'll be regarded as foolish or stupid or ignorant or hateful. And that I refuse to do. Uh, we are told here that we as believers who embrace the scriptures, we do this told why that this is what we do but we're also told why because of the authority of God himself and that's undergirded by what we refer to here as the beauty and self-authenticating nature of the scriptures and that is to say that when we read and study the Bible we realize it's like no other book in, in regard to how it deals with us and reveals us the kind of salvation that it offers it is so contrary to what human beings would come up with on their own it is so essentially different from other religions in this regard uh, and if you want a demonstration of this in the scriptures read psalm 119 and you'll see their loving and joyful response to god's word we read again that in our confession it apprehends an excellency therein above all other writings and all things in the world. It bears forth the glory of God and his attributes, the excellency of Christ and his nature and offices, the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit and his workings and operations and is so enabled to cast his soul upon the truth thus believed. So how does it manifest itself when we have this heart? Well, we have the kind of heart that Samuel expressed when he said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or as the psalmist said, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things uh, out of your law. How will I respond and react to what I come across in God's word, whether it is read or expounded, whether I come across it in the public reading of scripture or a preacher or in my own private reading or in an excellent commentary. Well, again, we read it acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. So what happens when I come across a threat? 
You know, the word of God says, you know, if, if, if you don't love your brother, you're a liar. Truth isn't in you. Let's just say, hey, judgment's not going to go well with you. Well, how do you show you believe that God is the author of that? You say, I'm going to start loving. <laughs> I'm going to pray for grace to love my brother. What if I come across a promise and God says, find help in this, find, find comfort in that, and, and sometimes I don't, at least not immediately. If I don't embrace, to some degree eventually, what's my problem? I'm not really believing. I'm not really trusting. I'm not walking by faith. I'm not taking God at his word. And it may well be then that this is proof in some cases that God has not yet done a work in me. I mean, Hebrews refers to an evil heart of unbelief. Or those times when I'm walking contrary to my profession, God has spoken, God's mind has been made known, the heart of the true Christian is then to listen, to obey, and by the help of the Spirit, not by their own strength, but with the help of the Spirit, to embrace what their Heavenly Father has said. That's, that's what faith does. That's how, it's what we're meant to do and to be. But now let me touch here as well on the focus of faith. And we've already mentioned this, but this is certainly worth uh, underscoring over and over again. And there's, I'm not going to say there's tension here. There, there is a, a reminder to us, look, this is a believer has a heart to embrace everything God says. And, well, and so if God makes a threat and, and God says, stop doing this, we show we believe what God says by seeking to stop doing it. God says, be, add this to your life, add this virtue to your life. You say, well, I embrace the authority of God. My, my king has spoken and I'm going to strive to do what he says to do. That's to be a, a universal reality uh, in our lives as believers. But there is a focus of our faith. Remember I said Christ is the preeminent object of our faith, not, not the exclusive. And what I meant by that is we believe all the promises of God or all the threats of God. But the focus of our faith uh, is Christ. And so again, to read what it says, but the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And this reminds us, what do we do when we have struggled, when we have failed, when we have sinned? We've not embraced the promise. We've not been comforted by what God has revealed as we should have been. We've not fled where God says to flee or whatever the case might be. We've not fully uh, implemented what we know and to believe the, the will of God is, um, while again, it may be evidence that we are not in Christ, it is to us who do believe a call to look to Christ afresh. So while the believer is to show himself faithful to all that God has revealed, just as Jesus said of the law, there are weightier matters of the law, so too there are weightier matters of revelation. So let me give a scenario 
and I could work this from one of two angles, but I'm going to work it from this particular angle. Uh, it's possible today to embrace certain what we might call biblical ethics, what the Republicans used to call family values. Remember those good old-fashioned family uh, values. Um, it's possible to have a pro-life ethic, to be against abortion. It's possible to embrace and to defend a traditional view of marriage, that marriage and its ideal is, uh, well, let me just, marriage is between a man and a woman, ideally for life. That that's what the Bible says marriage is. And even to believe that there is a God and to believe that God made the world. And I'm going to say this, hell is full of such people. It's even possible to believe certain facts about Jesus. Remember, Paul said to Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. But did he believe in Jesus? No. It's possible even to believe certain facts about Jesus, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. There were some people in Jerusalem who believed with all their heart that Jesus rose from the dead and then wanted to do everything they could to cover that fact up. The knowledge of the resurrection was not a joy to them, it was a threat to them. Historically, they believed it, but they trembled at it in a, in a wrong way. So it's possible to believe many truths about Jesus, to believe he arose from the dead and even to believe that one day Jesus will return in glory and there are people like that in this room I think if I said to them is your is your is your problem that you don't believe what the Bible says is true and that's a whole different argument you know some people say well no I don't I don't I don't know that I believe or accept the authority of the Bible others say no I do believe it I believe everything that is said but you've not yet forsaken your sins. You've not yet looked to heaven for mercy. You've not entrusted your soul to him. And we remind ourselves that the devil is a fair theologian, better than a fair theologian, who embraces as true everything the Bible says, but also hates it. And so we say to ourselves, all right, what, what is it that ultimately we, we want to say to somebody, this is your starting point. We're going to remember this. It's that Jesus, it's who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And sometimes somebody struggles with other aspects of revelation. I, mean, I, I try to look back to when I was first converted and there were certain things that if somebody said, do you believe this? Do you believe that? And as far as biblical ethics or biblical standards I might have said I don't really I don't really know or I don't really understand but I do know that I'm a sinner and that I need a savior now when I knew that I was a sinner and I needed a savior and I looked to Christ and am crucified my heart then was to embrace as true everything the Bible said even if it was contrary to my upbringing or to my natural humanity things like disciplining children or something like that that I had an aversion to but I said, well, that's what the Bible says. And I can remember even you know, something like the death penalty that I had an aversion to as a classic uh, northern liberal in my family. But uh, I said, well, if that's what the Bible says, and I'm going to believe it. But it began, that heart of submission began <clears throat> with the gaze of faith to Christ. 
And in looking to Christ, God did a work in my heart and then could embrace all things. And some people embrace, again, many things about the Bible to be true, but they've never looked to Jesus. And, and if you've not looked to Jesus, your view of, of, of life or cosmology is not going to save you. That's what I'm trying to say. All right, so let's conclude by looking here at the victorious nature of faith. Paragraph three, this faith, although it be different in degrees and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree of it different and that kind or nature of it as is all other saving grace from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. And therefore, though it may be many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. All right, so the writers here want to make a, a contrast between temporary faith and, and saving faith. And temporary faith and saving faith in its beginnings often might look exactly the same. So there's some joy and there's some, you know, maybe a, a, a joining of the church and, and baptism. And here's somebody who, you know, maybe the, the temporary faith seems much stronger and much bolder than the true faith, but weak faith of a believer. And eventually this one, this one who makes this Seemingly, I mean, they've got gifts. They're you know, talkative, and all, all the other the other ones over here trembling a little bit and and struggling along. But time determines one is one is true and real, and the other was temporary and and false. And the encouragement is: look, true faith isn't always it isn't always as robust. It's not always as passionate. It's not always as trusting. It's not always as trembling, but it is persevering. And, and that is that even though weak at times and struggling at times, and like everybody gonna raise their hand, if you know, have you known ups and downs in your faith? Have you known times when you were so strong, so confident in what God says, and at other times so mistrustful, so 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 struggling to lay hold, so fearful of believing that that could be true uh, of you or that God thinks this of you, whatever the case may be. And then it is many times assailed. And it's assailed by the world. It's assailed by uh, the enemy of our souls. Sometimes it's assailed by our friends. You know, why do you keep your integrity, curse God and die? Great word of a wife to her husband, right? In his time of suffering. But that was meant to assail uh, their faith. And yet what happens? They keep hoping. They keep trusting. Uh, and, and to me, it's one of the sweetest things, being able to be a pastor for decades, uh, is to watch people who are sometimes limping. And I appreciate it. I read something recently. You know, might have been David Powlison who said, you know, talked about you know, there, there, are, there are some who run in the right direction, some who walk in the right direction, some who stand in the right direction, some who crawl or limp in the right direction, some who crawl in the right direction, but, but they're, they're, they're in the right direction. They're, they're continuing to look. Uh, 
And sometimes, again, that faith is robust, and, and sometimes it's not. But again, it's, it's not the strength of our faith. It's the object of our faith that allows us to have an anchor for our soul in heaven. I, I, I heard the other day, um, some of you may have seen this, there's a brief clip of uh, D.A. Carson talking about faith. I don't know if some of you saw this, but I thought it was a very good illustration. And he talked about two Jews uh, on the night of the Passover, right before the, and they're talking and they say, what do you think about what Moses said, you know? And he says, well, I, I put the blood on the, the lintel and, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm really nervous. I don't really know. I don't really know what's going to happen. And the other says, oh, I, I'm confident. I mean, I, I know I put the blood on my post. And what Moses said to do, put the blood on the post. And I know that when tonight comes, this is going to happen. And, I, and so he asked a question at the end of it. He said, which of their sons died that night? And the answer was, neither of them. They both did what the Lord said to do. One did it with weak faith. The other did it with strong faith. But both received the reward of faith. Because, again, it's not... The strength of our faith is the object of our faith that enables us to attain. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to own and bless these things uh, to our hearts. Father, thank you that we can have this time together and to be reminded of our Savior, to be reminded of the trustworthiness of Scripture. And Lord, we have... Uh, discussed and seen today that among those things that help and strengthen our faith is your worship and and even taking the Lord's Supper. And so, Father, we pray that this hour to come, the fellowship we have today, the word that's preached, the word that is read, the prayers that are offered, the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs sung, and then looking to Christ in the celebration of the Supper, Lord, we pray that you would receive glory that your people would be strengthened and encouraged, and that some will look to Jesus today for the first time. We ask these blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.